The Near Futurist, a podcast with Guy Clapperton. Hello, and thanks for streaming The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. This week, we're going to cover a topic that's close to my heart, the future of the events industry. Now, some people I know are actually wondering whether it has one. Regular listeners might remember I generally start by offering to moderate conferences and speak at them as people have invited me to do so and it's been fun. But at the moment, even as we emerge from lockdown, the prospects of sitting in a large audience are daunting to a great many and that's having a huge impact on the industry. We'll get to that in a second. But by way of my usual remorseless plugging, I'll just say that if your job means that you need to do press interviews or if you want help with online presentation skills, you can find me at remotemediatraining.com. I've been a technology journalist for over 30 years and I do know where the traps are and I've been training remotely for over 10 years. So we get to my guest for the day, who is presumably still reeling from what's happening to his industry. He works for a business that runs 650 events per year, including the Healthcare Excellence Through Technology show at Excel, the Schools and Academies show and numerous others. His company is GovNet, he's Chief Operating Officer, and his name is James Tucker. James, welcome. Thanks very much, Guy. For once, I have a vested interest in what's going on here and what we're talking about, but I'll try not to let that get in the way, so please ignore any sobbing you might hear from me in the background, just carry on like the professional you are. Um, but you're a senior person in the events industry. For the moment, what events industry? You're definitely right. I think the events industry has been among the most affected by this crisis. At the end of the day, we can't run live events when everyone's in lockdown. But actually that's kind of accelerated a huge change, and probably the single largest change in our events industry over the last 20 years. There's a lot of talk guy, about this virtual pivot, which is, is kind of a phrase that I hate because we aren't changing our entire business model here, which is finding a new medium to do what we've always done. For, for me, a pivot is when a tech startup goes in a completely different direction. I don't think that really applies to us, but... Uh, that's interesting. I've researched this because I'm a journalist and I know this stuff. <laughs> uh, and uh, the, the pivot is actually taken from uh, basketball, I've been told, uh, really? which is where you keep one foot firmly on the ground and do a turn and do exactly the same manoeuvre, but in a different direction. I used to agree with you, but if that's the route, I can kind of understand it. Yeah, and I think everyone is looking at how they run events and they're considering virtual events. I think some are doing better than others. The industry is definitely still feeling the pain, but it is still going. And the audience is still there. They still want to engage with the topics. They're just sitting at home. So we have to get creative with the medium of how we connect them. And that's what everyone's doing. Now, of course, lots of organizations use events such as yours to reach their clients and more importantly for them, their prospects. What exactly are they doing instead at the moment? Yeah, this is a really interesting one. I think, how many webinars have you been invited to in the last two months? Uh, plenty. Enough. More than enough. Loads. <laughs> yeah, I think so. you will notice almost every company running their own webinars. And some of them are going a step further, running their own events as well, which is, which is really great. A lot of ours are actually putting pressure on us to find ways to connect them with their audience. They still have the same problems as they had before, which is they want to come to an event to meet their clients. And 
for us that kind of validates how important we are to customers and gives us confidence to try stuff online and and so far that's been working really well but you you see a lot of people doing different stuff so what specifically are you offering at the moment what is GovNet uh, doing to cope with this so we're thinking about our existing audiences exactly what they want and the value that they got from our events previously and when you focus on that the medium almost become doesn't less important so we take what we do if it is a specific conference where there's maybe no sponsors no exhibitors so lead generation isn't part of what we would give at that event then it's purely about the information transfer from the speaker to the delegates and that's actually relatively easy to do online i think where we have challenges are for those really large events and we're still looking at ways we can run kind of hybrid or virtual events that can still deliver for those audiences the feedback we get and it's really strong is we need to come together like you've got to remember that for most of our markets healthcare schools technology this is the biggest single driver of change we've probably had there's more stuff to talk about now than we have had over the last five years at least especially when you look at the kind of brexit stalemate we were in that felt like a lot of topics were on hold and now huge change we need to get together we need to talk talk about them our responsibility as an event organizer is to find a medium to make that happen now, I mean, we're recording this interview through Zoom. Is is that and other sort of webinar technology the way we're going to do events in future? I can't help noticing that every time you start talking and there's multiple people on a Zoom conference, people start at the same time. You don't have those body language, those polite bits to let other people in. It gets to be a very stilted conversation. But you know, is that what we're stuck with at the moment? Do you think? So, have you attended any online events? I certainly have. Yeah. So. I think there's some tolerance at the moment. Let's be honest, you will have noticed it, whether you're watching the news, whether you're attending one of these on, online events for this kind of rough and ready production value. So I think people are more okay with that at the moment, but I don't think that's here to stay. I think, as I said before, you, you can use Zoom as an effective way of replicating the content part of the conference. So the transfer of information from the speaker to the audience. And you'll, you'll know that from events you, you've attended. But making new connections, meeting old colleagues, kind of sharing numbers, the kind of intangible networking part of our events, that's really, really tough to replicate online. Um, and platforms are definitely still lagging behind. There's some decent AI-based matchmaking apps that kind of prioritize accessibility and engagement but they don't do a great job anywhere near as a good job as you'd like to see them replicating that live event environment and to be honest our customers i i'm sure you'll feel the same maybe from from your event attendance they tell us they really miss that intangible stuff and when it's safe they can't wait to get back to seeing people face to face i think i don't know if there's one thing that i've i've learned from this it's probably that you really take for granted all the little things you get from those human interactions, whether it's with your colleagues or someone you've met at a conference. And I think it is a completely different experience meeting 
someone face to face and I really miss that I don't know how you feel I feel completely the same, although I do know that uh, some events, and I've seen audiences behave like this, uh, you realise that people have gone along for a day out of the office and a bit of networking, and the, they regard the event itself as a backdrop. I'm just wondering if that's something that is has gone away for the moment, and I'm wondering whether all of your sponsors or all of your clients actually are missing that terribly, or whether they'd rather have a, a smaller audience that's actually focused on the content. Yeah, I think content is key. So you're, you're right to focus about that. I think if you take the events industry as a whole, not every event has, has been focused on content necessarily. There's some events that are purely built around networking. So I think now there is a focus on driving content. I'm, I'm really lucky that amazing content was always part of our DNA. We actually started as a conference company before going into exhibitions. And so the content that our teams put together is awesome. And, and that's kind of reflective of how passionate they are and we are about the topics we talk, talk about. So content drives engagement, but with online viewers, I would say it is probably a little bit harder to maintain concentration and that engagement. Like there's work to do. They've got a laptop in front of them. Their emails are going off. They've got the internet at their fingertips. I think recognizing that issue, you can try and tackle that by spreading your content out over a longer period of time. And that's actually some so, something we've been doing. So previously that live event might run on a single day and people leave the office for a single day, whether it's for the lunch or whether it's for the content, but we can segment out the people who actually want to see the content and engage with the event by taking that event, spreading it across a number of days, let's say a 30-day period, and allowing people to come and consume that when they want. And they can still engage with the sponsors when they want during that period. So I think you can use that as quite an effective way to tease out real engagement, like who really, really wants to be there. Yes, I think even if you're doing a slightly longer event, you can say chunk the content up. I'm, uh, when I do media training online or presentation training, I hope people think it's a coincidence and that the videos and polls and things are just popping up when they're likely to be interesting. Actually, I'm timing it so that you know I'm never speaking for longer than 10 minutes at a stretch. Otherwise, I think people's attention would wander. So I think perhaps the structure has to be looked at as well by the, pre the presenters. Do you offer advice on that sort of thing to your clients? Yeah, so we, it's really about curation and coming up with topics that are engaging for the audience. Like we've really learned the hard way. There's been some suppliers over the years who, let's say, will come up on stage with a plumbing part and bore an audience for 30 minutes about why that is relevant to their school. And that doesn't help anyone, right? So it's really about getting our content teams involved with the audience and the sponsors so that you're creating an interactive experience that benefits both of them and that's really the value we add sponsors sometimes struggle to do that themselves yeah you're absolutely right I've, um, when i said that i chunked the content up uh, step one is make sure the content is actually relevant and pertinent and is worth listening to because otherwise you know whether you're on stage live or standing face to face with somebody or delivering virtually uh, if it's not worth listening to you might as well have just stayed home or not switched the computer on or whatever uh, yeah. so yeah I, I do absolutely take the point that the content's got to be first rate 
We're speaking at the moment, I should uh, just stress, we're recording this in advance. At the moment, it's the middle of June from when we're speaking. The um, listeners will get to hear this in uh, early August. But sometime we're going to be allowed back to large events such as yours. I'm not going to be unfair and say, when do you think this is going to be? Because neither of us has to has a crystal ball. I don't think that would be reasonable. But once the starting pistols have effectively fired by the government and they say, right, you can now do conferences, you can do events again. Do you think everybody's going to rush back or is there going to be a steady trickle? Are you going to keep a uh, hybrid event stream going? What's, what's your initial thoughts on that? So I think people will be afraid probably for still a certain period of time and that's completely understandable. So, so no, I don't think it will be the rush back. It's not just the event you've got to think about. It's also the journey to get there. And I think that makes people nervous. Most events are still running city centers. You need public transport to get there. So there's nervousness over the whole journey. We will, and we are doing everything we can to work closely with the venues to ensure that any customers don't have to be afraid. Especially some of the larger exhibition venues have got some really, really robust procedures in place. I think if you think about the Excel, for example, they've got temperature scanning on the way out of the DLR station which doesn't solve the nervousness around traveling but it gives some confidence to how you might feel when you're at the Excel center attending an event but ultimately our customers have said they want to get back as soon as it's feasibly possible because they want to take advantage of all those spin spillover effects i think there will be a return to live events and the, the live events model has been written off a few times and I think people enjoy those intangible benefits. I think time will tell. I would also say, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I, I think the government has quite a, a big role to play in supporting confidence generally, and um, not just for the events industry, but for a return to general activity, whether it's retail, hospitality, there's still a few questions that need to be answered. I think there absolutely are, and I'm no medical expert, so I'm not going to start uh, making pronouncements on something I know nothing about. I leave that to the other subjects I know nothing about. Uh, but uh, I'm, uh, I, I do take that point completely. It's got to have solid backing from governments, industry bodies, and an awful lot of other people. I'm just wondering whether there are any opportunities that have opened up in the virtual world. I've been to a few conferences in the past, even before COVID, when there were virtual speakers from other countries just on a big screen. But I'm wondering whether that's becoming more acceptable now, whether people are thinking, oh, yes, you can have a virtual speaker there, when perhaps before they would have much preferred a speaker in person. Do you think there are any opportunities that have been thrown up like that by this, um, this dreadful thing that's going on at the moment? Yeah, definitely. So I think there's two things. First, you've got what's acceptable right now. And as I said before, I think almost anything's acceptable right now. The world has had to adapt to what is a horrendous situation and as you say and therefore there's tolerance for almost anything whether it's speaking from your bedroom or whatever it is I think people are fine with that um, but when we return back to some degree of normality I do think virtual speakers will be much more commonplace as you say I think it's massively expanding the speakers that are available to us as as a conference organizer the same way it does the audience in that hybrid or that virtual events model, we can really pick case studies and relevant information from across the globe. And that is something really exciting. So yeah, I definitely think it'll be more commonplace. There's 
in the hybrid format there's something we need to work out if if you think about historically it would have been a bit odd to have a virtual speaker mixed in with a physical panel like can you imagine what that would look like i'm sure you've been to some events where it's the case and that it normally only happens when it's someone really exceptional so um so I'm not sure how we're going to manage that, um, but people are I've definitely hosted, more open to more video. I've hosted calls. panels like that. It does get very awkward because, uh, you know, just from the point of view of the host, you're trying to make sure the person on the screen is still included in the panel, but you can't pick up on the body language. The alternative is to have them on a walloping great big screen, in which case uh, they tend to dominate. So it is a difficult balance for the audience to assimilate as well, I should think. Yeah, I think the good thing here is that historically you would have only done it when you had to. And now everyone's had to do it for everything. So where before it was quite painful and as it sounds like from your experience hosting, like quite annoying almost, I think this will force us to get a little bit better at it as events organizers. And if there's something good that comes from this, it's that we'll be better at running those formats in a way that the audience appreciates. So you think the blended or the hybrid event is here to stay? We really like that idea. I think it takes the best of the live event and the virtual event um, and brings them side by side. So it expands your audience, combines all the things we've mentioned previously, really. So network, networking on the day, picking the most relevant content for you. I think live events were always limited by whoever was willing and able to travel to that specific location on that day. And this really breaks down those boundaries. Let's say someone on holiday obviously wouldn't fly back to attend a conference in central London on a Tuesday when their holiday was planned for the whole week. But would they log in for maybe one or two sessions while they're on the beach if they were really motivated? Perhaps they would. I think well, perhaps they would. There's possibly a separate discussion on mental health and being on holiday and not checking back with your work emails every five minutes. That's a, that's perhaps another debate. Yeah, I think we definitely don't want to encourage people to work while they're on holiday, but I think it just breaks down those geographical barriers, like the idea that you actually need to be in that location on on that day. Like it could, yes. it could be that you struggle to get sign off to leave leave the workplace. Like there might be a ban on travel or something in your specific organization historically that would have meant there's no way you could come and now that's not the case i do think careful planning is needed as we've kind of alluded to when we're talking about speaker panels you really need to be careful you, you don't ruin it for both the physical and the online audiences um, i'm thinking things like half empty auditoriums kind of people blocking the camera for those attending online, like excessive AV equipment everywhere. There's, there's a few challenges, but I, I think it's a really exciting guy. Final question, if I may, James, if people want to know more about you and your organization, where should they go? The best way, if you're interested in our public sector rents, is to visit us at govnet.co.uk. We have a new business line running events for the emerging technology sector that may be specifically relevant to listeners of this podcast and that's at btrhub.com and if you want to connect with me directly probably linkedin's the best so if you search for james tucker and govnet i'm sure you'll find me
James Tucker of GovNet, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, Gav. And of course, many thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futurist podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. Don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk or my media training site at remotemediatraining.com. I'll be back as always in two weeks' time. Thank you.